0: Isn't it very very few people I know uh, walk mindfully? They tend we walk habitually and uh, don't even notice what we're doing. So this in this way is a walking meditation: is noting and being with the body walking. And when the mind wanders off, and you start thinking or doubting or feeling bored or restless with it. Uh, you note that, you notice that the mind is, that you, you're not with the, the movement of your feet anymore, and then you bring your attention back to the feet. Now, when, when you one, one of the important uh, hints in training this way is to uh, recognize that when you determine to do something and you fail at it, you have a sense of disappointment or hopelessness. So, so if you if you're determined to do this walking practice, and keep your mind concentrated on your feet, and then your mind wanders all over the place, you're going to feel uh, you're going to feel disappointed all the time, or bored, or restless, or or uh, negative states will overtake your mind. So that's that's because you've your your ego's still involved in what you're doing. You still Wanting to become someone who concentrates and mind doesn't wander, so let go of that desire to note that desire of wanting to be successful and and make yourself do what you think you should be doing and and then feeling uh, disappointed and hopeless when when it doesn't happen when you can't do it but see that the it's the the way of training in this way is always humbling because it the most simple things are very difficult for us. Just to be with your, your body walking for half an hour is, uh, is, is difficult. But, so you're training uh, the mind as soon as, the, as, the, as it wanders away, and you're aware that you, you're, you're, you've wandered off, you're thinking about something, then humbly and patiently bring your attention back to, the, to your feet again. So you're, you're being one who's very humble and patient rather than an ambitious meditator who's, who's trying to force yourself to, do, to live up to some high standard you've set. And then you're always failing, and then you feel discouraged by your practice. So it doesn't matter how many times your mind wanders or not, we're not, we're not uh, going to give awards, prizes, to anyone during this retreat. It's not a competition. So that you… you uh, but the, the uh, wise… using wisdom in the walking practice means that you can uh, at least uh, uh, humbly and patiently do these… Very, make, practice in these very simple ways. For those who walk slowly, that's quite all right. I'm I'm not, I'm I have I'm in regards to technique. I'm not particularly uh, uh, concerned with with the techniques of meditation so much as an attitude of mind. What I'm trying to inculcate in into you in this retreat is is an attitude uh, rather than give you a, a technique that you have to do. Ajahn Sumedho's technique. So if you, if you, I mean, probably you've been to so many retreats already, some of you, with all different teachers, and everybody has their own style, so it's, it's not a matter of, of one technique being superior or better than another, even though we all kind of prefer our own techniques to somebody else's, which is quite natural. But the uh, um, the attitude is, developing the right attitude will help you to integrate this retreat with your ordinary life. Because you might not be able to, to say, to live your life in this way when you leave this, this uh, retreat center, but you can develop a right attitude toward your life in whatever you're doing, working or living with your family uh, whatever you have to do you you can at least develop an attitude that is wise and conducive to enlightenment I hear there's some kind of confusion about the uh, precepts especially the sixth precepts about food and this The Vikalapochana, the Sixth Precept, is a vow to not eat outside of the designated times, which in uh, Buddhist uh, monasteries is you don't eat after 12 noon. Uh, You don't eat meals. They've certain, uh, like... uh, certain allowances of uh, drinks and uh, various things like uh, um, they allow cheese to be eaten in the afternoon and, and honey, things like that. But, but a real meal uh, or what would be considered a meal is, is usually uh, not part of, is not allowed in the, after 12 noon. This is a tradition in Thailand, Sri Lanka. Lay people go to the monastery in the morning, taking the eight precepts. Then they would eat, their last meal would be before noon. And then they wouldn't eat till dawn of the next day. So that is, uh, it's to, in order for you to reflect on uh, and not to to look forward, or not to uh, to be able to see your own habits. For example, people do develop so many kind of uh, habits around food, and eating is uh, one of the great distractions that we use in life to avoid issues. Uh, so, what I encourage you to do is really use it to 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 uh, just see your own anxieties or. Uh, feelings of wanting something to eat in the evening, if that's what you're used to doing, so that you you can begin to learn how dependent one is upon having things a certain way. Uh, a form like this is is uh, is to give you that reflection on just say on sleep, on eating, on uh, the need for distractions and and uh, entertainments uh, not to mention the the first five about uh, this basic moral uh, commitments like the the last the, the last three precepts are not moral moral precepts they're uh, renunciate precepts they're, you, you did, there's nothing immoral about eating eating dinner in, in 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 the evening, but or there's nothing immoral about dancing or singing or going to shows or sleeping uh, in a comfortable bed. There's not not uh, nothing to do with morality, but they're they're uh, forms of renunciation in order to to be able to see what your mind does uh, or to simplify life. For example, in a in a monastery in uh, <clears throat> in Thailand. Uh, we were only allowed one meal a day. Uh, Here we have, we tend to have two actually, a breakfast and the meal before noon. In Thailand we we wouldn't even have the breakfast. Uh, So that, and once you resign yourself to that, it makes life very simple. Your mind does not really uh, go around thinking about food all the time. because when it's not available or you can't have it, then you more or less give up uh, thinking about it. If you give choices, like if if I said, well, there are those of you who want to have a meal in the evening, you can, and those that don't want to, then don't. Then you, I'd be giving you more of a problem. <laughs> because then you think, well... I could have a meal this evening. <laughs> so, in one way, it makes it, it like I found the uh, monastic life really a very as a simplification uh, of life because your options and choices diminish considerably. I'm not trying to make you into monks or nuns, but to but to give you a a. Uh, a way of reflecting on on your habits on the the accumulations of your life, uh, not to intimidate you but but just so you can maybe see how how your mind how dependent one becomes on routine on food on on things like cigarettes and drink and on <clears throat> television and on Social encounters and so forth. It's just we we're so so we we are creatures of habit, and uh, if we if we but we can transcend the habits is is what we're saying. We don't have to be just victims of our conditioning. In fact, in I think most of us have experimented a lot with fasting. We, we've found that, you know, you can eat one meal every other day and still feel all right. <laughs> and you can even go without food for a week and still be all right. I mean, physically, it's just uh, me- mentally, one might be all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> but I found that a relief, actually because I was brought up in a family that y- you had to have three meals a day three square meals a day and and if I didn't have if I missed one square meal my mother would say, oh, You're going to ruin your health <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> I had this as my my kind of, in my you know, instilled in my brain. So, so I always had this feeling you had to have three meals a day and eight hours of sleep to otherwise you'd lose your health. And uh, in monastic life, I found, you know, how that one can can go without food or for quite long periods of time. And and not to torture oneself. I didn't do it out of a kind of masochistic uh, intentions. I'm not an ascetic, but just to see what my limits are what, what I can take what happens when I, when I can't get what I want or my habit life is disrupted and so you can you're watching you're, you're using the, the experiences to, to observe what suffering is and the end of suffering to see suffering and, and the end of it Now, a technique I've used in my life as a monk is i found very helpful, which I will pass on to you and see if it is gives you it helps you at all. And uh, those of you who have been on my retreats before have already know this, but uh, I've developed the listening to what we call the sound of silence or the the nada or what's called nada yoga and this this um, is an ancient form of yoga I've heard it's almost disappeared and I and I discovered it quite my just on my own really before I knew that it had a name and this was my first year uh, as a monk in Thailand. I'd find that uh, I'd be hearing this, this kind of high vibrational sound, uh, almost like an electronic sound as a kind of background. Uh, and, of course, one, uh, I thought it was... I didn't quite know what it was, thought it was some kind of maybe... Um, Something wrong with my ears, but the the thing was that it seemed to to be uh, have a continuous uh, quality to it, and the fact that one when one paid attention to it, uh, it helped to calm and uh, to center to ground oneself a lot so i call this the listening to the sound or uh, the inner sound or the sound of silence and then talking to other people about it uh, other, then i realize other people also also uh, have that same experience uh, so far in buddhism i've never heard it talked about uh, as a practice uh, I did mention it once to Ajahn Chah, and he he certainly seemed aware of it. But if you if you detect it, once you acknowledge it, then it helps to if, and you begin to uh, bring it into consciousness. It's uh, it will help you to let go of things, to be able to empty the mind. The mind quite quite. Uh, empty at that time the mind is reflective it's not highly concentrated so you're not kind of absorbed in anything but it offers a kind of backdrop uh, a grounding uh, a centering rather so that one's ability to say let go of things increases uh, I found it much Uh, a a very uh, helpful way of letting go of say very very difficult things like an emotional highly fraught emotional experiences are very difficult (coughs) to get any perspective on because you're if if you really uh, have a strong emotion in your mind then you uh, it's very difficult to, to not either suppress it or to just Go go on and on with it uh so uh, I found anapanasati sometimes where you were, trying to, were more tended to be more suppressive towards emotion uh where I found uh concentrating or listening to the sound of silence very helpful because uh, just by staying with that for say the count of ten, remember when your mother used to say, now, before you say anything when you're angry, count to ten. <laughs> There's a certain amount of wisdom in that saying, actually. <laughs> and and the, But if you listen to the uh, sound of silence in count to ten, it'll even be better. So, you know, this morning, see if you can, uh, sit, when you're sitting this, during this... Hour, see if you can. Uh, it's like uh, detect this sound. It's a high pitch, fairly high pitch, and a continuous uh, uh, kind of ringing, reverberating uh, sound. Sometimes at first you don't even like it, but actually once you once you uh, some people like it a lot. Some people. Find it irritating, but once you uh, recognize it, you'll find it very helpful, and 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 the aversion or the uh, reaction to it will also cease. Now, it's very helpful also when you're, say, when you are uh, in the stressful situations. Uh, it helps to to keep to give you some place to to have a perspective. I mean, if you're, you're you're in rather tense or difficult situations, in say social scenes or or work, whatever you're doing, it helps enormously to be able to to reflect on that sound because uh, that way you 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 be able to stop the kind of habitual reactions that you might be having in regards to a tent, tense uh, situation. You won't just be suppressing or, or, uh, or just trying to hold everything down out of fear and anxiety, but you'll actually be more kind of observant and cool in, in regards to your own reaction. Now some people uh, do not find it, uh, do not hear it, or uh, but don't, that's all right too. If you if you can't detect it, uh, don't don't make a problem about that. <laughs> but uh, eventually it will. You find it, especially uh, as your as your mind is more quiet uh, and you're not so kind of. Busy with just the going around with your thoughts uh, your own thoughts you will you will uh, you will hear it it's a good thing to try to listen to it especially to to make it a practice not only when it 's quiet uh, and the conditions are very conducive, but also I recommend using it in very noisy situations like in traffic jams or when uh, somebody's using a chainsaw cutting down a tree near your house or or uh, uh, a loud motorcycle without a muffler goes by <laughs> it 's uh very helpful to try to to listen to that rather than follow maybe uh, feelings of aversion to the to the unpleasant sounds so it 's like listening one of the uh, Ways of liberation is through listening, and we're sāvakas or listeners to the dhamma. Uh, we we listen, and listening is uh, is always implies a, an attentiveness of mind. You to listen to somebody, to listen to anything, you have to pay attention. No? You have to be with with it. You have to be open. Now, if you're really listening to somebody. What they're saying, you have to you have to pay attention and uh, and uh, really try to be with them when they're speaking. So you're, you're mindful. You're you you're, you're using your ability to to hear and to listen in order to to fully get to fully try to understand what somebody's saying to you. Uh, well, apply that also inwardly to your own. To, to your own mind, this sense of attentive, really sharp at, uh, attention and listening to the sound of silence, listening to the uh, the inner voices, the 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 whispers and the whines and the complaints that go on in the mind, listening to them uh, is is, an, is a practice of listening to the inner voices so that you're hearing what they say. You're not just reacting to them. You're not believing them or you're not denying them. You're listening. And you see that they arise and they cease. If you listen to the inner voices and the, the conditioned mind that set that gets triggered off at certain moments, you will you will you'll be listening to different personalities, different qualities of emotion that arise and cease in the mind. And what is left when they when they cease, the sound of silence still remains. After all the, the dramas, the melodramas, the the angels and demons and the whole range of characters uh, that can arise and cease in one's own mind. When they've all ceased, there's still the, the reverberating nada. Now nada means sound in uh, Sanskrit. In Spanish, it means nothing. (laughs) Doesn't it? Nothing. (laughs) So it has significant meaning both in Spanish and in Sanskrit. Okay, now I'll leave you to, to uh, your practice and uh, see if you can uh, detect this. When you hear it, then, then sustain it, try to, to really be c- conscious of it, like you're listening to it. Then when your mind wanders, you start thinking, carried away with things, then as soon as you're aware... That you're thinking, or your you, your mind's wandering, then try to listen to the sound again—the sound of silence. Practice with, it, practice, with practice with it. Like if you've got really some obsessive thoughts going on in your mind, and and or or some kind of really unpleasant or uh, repetition or obsessive thinking, then then try to. Uh, listen to the sound of silence. Say to the count of ten, and then see what if you can remember all clearly what, or exactly what it was you were obsessed with. It's an experiment. See uh, how when you're when you're going to the sound of silence, then for a span of time, the the kind of power of an emotion you're allowing to diminish because you're not feeding it. You're not. You're not reinforcing that emotion at that time. So more and more, you can, uh, you you'll be able to say, do things, work, uh, walk, even attend committee meetings, and have uh, find a place that you can remain much more centered. Uh, in yourself and, and be more aware of what's actually happening than than before. Like I found uh, this very helpful in committee meetings, because if if I center myself in there, then I can I'm more aware of what's actually happening in a, in the uh, with the other people around me. I'm more in tune, in touch with the actual mood and the situation I'm in, where uh, committee meetings, as you all know, can one can be very much caught up into somebody's taking si- taking sides on issues, or or uh, be highly influenced by a very strong uh, person who's coming across in a very strong and uh, way that that one is uh, easily kind of influenced by. If you can, if you can use this uh, Nada sound more, then you. Find a way of, of, of not suppressing or out of anger or aversion, but much more uh, keep centered and cool in regards to the things that are going on uh, around you and inside you.